From the Kennan Institute in Washington, D.C., welcome to Kennan X, a podcast on our never-ending quest to understand Russia, Ukraine, and the surrounding region. I'm your host, Jill Doherty. I have a friend. She's Russian, very Russian, but her grandparents were American, African-American, and Jewish. I met Yelena Kanga 40 years ago in Moscow, right at the beginning of the Gorbachev era. She was a young journalist, and it was a very exciting time to be a journalist. She wrote a book about herself and her family called Soul to Soul, a black Russian Jewish woman's search for her roots. I never forgot Yelena Kanga, and we kept in touch over the years. I spent a few lovely hours with her in Moscow last year in her kitchen, drinking tea and, of course, eating borscht. So here in Washington recently, watching all of the Black Lives Matter protests taking place, I thought of Yelena. So I called her up and we talked. I asked her what she's thinking as she watches news of what's happening in the United States and how her grandparents ended up in Russia back in the 1920s. Well, my grandfather, Oliver Golden, was African-American, and he fell in love with the daughter of a rabbi, Bertha Bialik, and they got married and they decided to move to the Soviet Union in order to escape racism in U.S., and that was in 1928. And your family has lived there ever since, and you're very much a Russian <laughs> yeah. I've eaten your borscht. I know that your borscht is very good, so you have to be Russian. <laughs> but on a serious note, you've been looking at the reports about the protests in the United States. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Well, my thoughts are mixed. On one side, my grandfather left the U.S. because of racism. In fact, during one of the demonstrations, the policeman hit his kidneys so hard that years later, my grandfather passed away because of the problems with his kidneys. Mm -hmm. So now, in the year 2020, we see the same thing when black man was murdered for no reason which is terrible, and we see that some things don't change. On the other side, I know that if my grandfather is somewhere looking down and sees what's going on in America, he would be very proud because he sees that because of death of one person, millions and millions of white and black people united to say no against police abuse. And the words Black Life Matter that probably my grandfather wanted to say when he was participating in those demonstrations. These words he hears from thousands and thousands of people, not only around America, but even all over the world. We're talking about peaceful demonstration in England, in London, in Germany, in France, and in Greece. So there are good signs and bad signs. So that's why I have mixed feelings. Is there any, let's say, impact that this is having in Russia? Because there is, of course, not too much understanding. In Russia, 
we don't understand. I don't want to say we because it's not fair to say we. Russia is very different, just like America is. But I'm afraid that official mass media is not giving an accurate explanation of what's going on. We see those horrible signs of looting and the fire and the cars being burned and thieves. And that's what they're saying. They say, look, this is America. But we don't see those millions protests, peaceful protests of people, whites and blacks going together. I guess the most important thing that's happening right now in America is that millions of people, white and black together, go out on peaceful demonstration to say no to police brutality and to say that black life matters. That's what I think the most important thing is. And I know this is terrible that lots of stores were totally destroyed and some cars and yes, there is lots of damage. But then after all, there is insurance. Those people will be reimbursed somehow. Nina, let me ask you a personal question. In Russia, you yourself, have you been subjected to racism in your life? See, this is a very complicated question because the things that we call racism is not the same that you call racism. In America, racism was institutionalized. And we all know what that means. In Russia, racism was on the level of butavoy uh, racism. I don't know how to say it. Every day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. It was not institutionalized. In other words, mm-hmm. because of your color, you could not be denied of a good school. You could not be denied of a good job. You could not be denied of good living, housing. But I had problems, not with the color of the skin. I had problems that because of the color of my skin, they saw that my parents were foreigners. And that was the real problem. So it was hard for me to get a job, not because I was black, but because my blackness showed that I'm a foreigner, even though I was born in Russia. So I don't know if Americans would understand that because for Americans, immigrants is normal. Probably 80% or 50% of Americans know somebody that immigrated from another country. Russia was a very xenophobic country and we are not used to immigration. Now it's much better. Now you see lots of black kids that speak perfect Russian, and that means that the mother was Russian and the father was from Africa. But in the 60s, when I was born, it was very unusual. And yes, you could hear lots of bad words from the kids in the street, but I always had lots of friends. I used to play tennis. I had a relatively comfortable life. I can't complain. So We cannot compare those two racisms. And then you went on to quite a well-known career in journalism, on TV, etc. Correct. Yes, I was the first, and I'm afraid the only one, black talk show host. (laughs) So I do remember that show. It was really amazing because it was the first show in the early days of Pedistroika on sex, right? (laughs) Yes. In fact, I was living in New York and I was flying into Moscow once a month 
for three days to tape nine shows. We were doing three shows per day. And then I would go back to New York. And that was a show about sex. Don't think that it was something ugly. It was very kosher. (laughs) We were discussing issues connected by sex, but these were social issues. We were the first in Russia to talk about gays. We were the first in Russia to talk about HIV. We were the first in Russia to talk about home violence and sex, how to call it, when you're in the office and your boss. Yes, sexual harassment. Me too. We were the first to talk about me too. We were talk about sex education at schools. So we were I think more social issues around sex, mm-hmm. I would call it this way. And that's why it was so popular. Yana, when we were talking, I was reminded of back in the Soviet days, which we both, of course, experienced, when I was a guide on exhibits for the U.S. Information Agency, mm-hmm. we were asked by people many times about race relations in the United States. And forgive me for the outdated, racist language, but literally I was asked in those days, mm-hmm. that's how it was asked. And it was a very difficult thing for me to explain because it wasn't the policy to kill African-Americans, and yet it happened. People were lynched. And I was young, so I tried to explain it the best that I could. Do you see anything similar or in common between how the Soviet Union depicted race relations and modern Russia? Well, we understand that mass media is a propaganda, and they use anything in your own interest. Mm -hmm. So if you want to show that America is not such a glamorous place to live and there is no freedom and that is not heaven as majority might think, propaganda 50 years ago was saying you have black people lynched and now they say you have black people murdered. So this is Mm -hmm. the reality. Yes, I see similarity. Unfortunately, When they show it on television, they're not lying. Yes, black people were lynched (laughs) 70 years ago and black people being murdered in the middle of the streets today. And so propaganda is not going into details and not explaining lots of other issues and not explaining the history of America, not explaining the percentage of people 70 years ago, what was the reaction 70 years ago of white people? And what is the reaction today? 70 years ago, no white people would go to support the death, even if the person was just killed. You have a daughter. In fact, she's quite good at tennis. She's really a tennis star. When you look at her and you think of your grandfather Mm -hmm. leaving the United States, going about as far away as you possibly could at that point to Russia, and then your own daughter thinking about the United States, looking at what's happening, do you think that your daughter could ever, let's say, return to the United States or should she make her future in Russia? I'm sure. Last year, she entered American University. She enjoyed playing tennis. She had a scholarship 
And she started, right now she's in Moscow with me, but I hope she will, well, there is some kind of problem because she was transferring to another university and we had problems with scholarship because of this coronavirus. I don't want to go into details, but the point is that I hope she will find another university and she will go on to continue her education. And I think it's normal for children to go and study and learn the best, take the best. I hope she will learn English much better than I do. She has friends. We have relatives in U.S. It's a beautiful country. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing. But to me, it's very significant that you would have this kind of circle of your grandfather leaving, going to Russia, and now your daughter going back. (laughs) Well, the reason why my grandfather and my grandmother left was basically because of their daughter. They really went to work to the Soviet Union and to earn some money, but they intended to return back. My grandfather made a group of 16 African-Americans, actually specialists in agriculture, and most of them returned back to U.S. But My grandparents stayed in Russia because my mother was born and she was black. And all my grandparents wanted for her was to get a good education. That's all they prayed for. Now, when I was born, my mother put me through the best Russian school. She hired a very good musical teacher. And I used to play for the Soviet army team in tennis. So that was, again, the dream of my grandfather. Now, when my daughter was born, I did the same thing. I got the best nanny for her. I wanted her to have perfect Russian language. She had a wonderful musical teacher and she used to play for the Soviet team in tennis. So we all live the dreams of our grandparents. But now (laughs) I think that my daughter could get a wonderful education in America. And that's why the circle closes. So she goes back to America. My grandparents loved America. It's just they didn't think they could give her a good education in America. Now things really changed. That's an amazing story. And you know what surprises me really, honestly, is your optimism or hope and faith that some things are changing. Well, they are changing. And on one side, they are changing. On the other side, they're not. I mean, I was so happy when Obama got elected. That was such a wonderful holiday for lots of my friends. In fact, a friend of mine, she even wrote a letter to Obama and she sent it. (laughs) And she received an answer. You'll be surprised. We understand that Obama didn't write this letter, but somebody from his office answered her. So my friend called a very popular Russian radio station where you can call in and say, please play this music in order of my friend. He has a birthday or something. Mm -hmm. So she called the radio station called Mayak, which is very popular here. Oh, yes. And she says, today, my dear friend, Obama, he (laughs) has been elected. Please send him a very good song. Oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> and they did. So we were very excited. All my friends were very excited when he was elected. And my grandfather, again, if he looks down from the sky and my grandmother, I'm sure they were very proud that that happens. In those terms, yes, things are changing. But on the other side, we see that some things never change. And there's a long way to go before we say, no, there is no racism left at all. 
Thank you so much, Lena. I really appreciate your comments. Thank you. And stay safe there in Moscow. We have the virus still. <laughs> I sure will and hope to meet you one day in Washington. <laughs> that was Yelena Kanga, Russian journalist with roots in America. Kenan X is a product of the Kenan Institute at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars in Washington, D.C. It's the Wilson Center's oldest program, founded in 1974 by George F. Kennan, American statesman, James Billington, historian and former librarian of Congress, and historian S. Frederick Starr. Inspired by them, the Kennan Institute's mission is to improve America's understanding of Russia and the wider region. Thanks for listening.